Welcome to New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in relationships, grow in discipleship, and grow in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in our study of parables in the Gospel of Luke. These are stories Jesus used to apply the Gospel truths to the lives of Christians. So we ask you subscribe, join in, so that you don't miss a single Sunday. And so as, as we jump into this, um, this far looking at the parables, it's been fairly easy recently. I've been able to just uh, name the sermon after whoever the main character was, and we pretty much got the point. Uh, this morning that would have been um, about the builder of storehouses, maybe, if, if that uh, rings a bell for you. But in studying this parable, I quickly found that the main point of the parable of the teaching that Christ was giving was something more than that. Uh, and so I, I was led to, to say, well, this is the contentment in Christ. This is what we're really being called to. And more than that, our message is treasure in Christ that I think accurately says we're rad. And, and before we jump in, I just want to acknowledge the fact that so many in our community are in a point that this really ought to come home as many of us are experiencing off time from work, uh, slowed up markets, layoffs, whether it's due to the market or to uh, health conditions or something, uh, a number of the meals and, and a number of industries are impacted. Uh, even within our church, we have several. Um, and uh, I was talking just this morning with Lila, you know, that I've thankfully that I've experienced the grace of God before. I'm not altogether worried. And if you have not, uh, I pray God blesses you this morning through his word. And so now, uh, I'll, I'll be beginning in verse 13, read through about verse 34. I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he, Jesus, said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus continued teaching, and so we'll read on. He said unto his disciples, 
Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for what the body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O, o ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell all ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags with wax not old, which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning seeking desperately for the treasure that only comes in Jesus Christ. Father, at this point, we're not even talking about salvation. We are talking about a real and ongoing relationship coming to know you for who you are as revealed in the Son. Express us in your word this morning. And Father, if we have anything to ask in our time of study, it's that we would experience you in your word, that you would meet with us. Lord, that we would come to know you and love you rightly, even as treasures are stripped away from us in this world. So Father, we come to you asking your blessing, Lord, asking to see your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So there's a few considerations for us as we dive into this text. Um, I've left a, an outline in the bulletin I'll be following uh, this week. And these first three, I've got three points with three subpoints. Well, that first section is really just a few considerations that are going to give us a little bit of background uh, in, in this scenario that they've been presented. We know there's a guy who has a profitable year. Uh, his crop yields him uh, wonderfully, and so he doesn't even have room for it all. He's going to tear down his barns, build bigger ones, and he's going to set on it. He's going to retire. Um, and so that, that's basically what happens, but there's a few considerations I think that we need to give whenever we come to this text. First is that all wealth is from God. All wealth is from God. All monetary wealth, all spiritual wealth, both the physical and the metaphysical 
um, in the teaching we've just read, it, it exemplified even the productivity was from God. And that's that first one. God gives productivity. So this is just, just a, a truth statement. All wealth is from God. All good things come from above. We know that. And so that is a baseline that we need to understand. And that, that dis, is displayed in the fact that God gives productivity. The Old Testament is full of stories showing Israel's dependence upon God for provision. It is arguably the reason he drew them out of the rich land of Egypt into the somewhat more mountainous, arid, and comparatively desolate land in Israel, the land of Canaan, because they would so have to depend upon God for this productivity um, each year, that the rains would come, that God would send those. Um, then, then we move into the New Testament and we see how, how it reveals in Christ's teaching and that of the apostles, it reveals that even spiritual blessing comes from God. And, and I think of one passage in 1 Corinthians 3.6. You might even make a note of that to the side. 1 Corinthians 3.6. That's where Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, and then God gave the increase. He took something that was so natural to their experience and applied it to their regular uh, experience in, in Christ, that God gives this increase. Surely it was God who provided for man's abundance, even his excess, even his excess. The, the God presumably blessed this man in the story, in the parable, uh, with too much. There's a reason for this. This is again not directly out of our text, but given from the all of Scripture. Excess belongs to the poor. In Leviticus, here's another one. I've got a few uh, proof texts for you this morning. Leviticus 23, verse 22, makes clear this is God's law. You are to leave the corners of your field for the poor and the sojourner to glean. So essentially what they do, we would see this, well, really running all throughout the Old Testament and the life of the Israel people. Um, the whole book of, you know, Ruth um, is has a lot to do with her asking to come and glean from the crops of her family, her kin kinsmen. Um, and so... God's made a provision for the poor and the alien or the soldier, the one who's not a citizen with us. Um, his design is that we would share the blessing that he gives. I've heard it argued before that there's plenty of provision in the world. We just don't allocate it properly. We have many, and, and, and that's not pointing fingers. I, indeed, I think we're sometimes guilty of hoarding those blessings to ourselves. And there are, in seems like every industry and institution, there are those who make profit by corruption. There's plenty on this earth to, to meet every need, I thoroughly believe. And then there's this third consideration as we jump into the text. I don't want to take too long on these. But just the simple fact, dealing with all the elements of this parable, God gives the productivity, he, the excess is for the poor, but God gives adequate rest. 
We need to come to this and understand, regardless of this scenario, not only has the Lord provided a Sabbath rest for man in creation, we know that, but he had also he'd even given a rest to the land. This is from Leviticus 25, verse 4, if you want to mark that. Leviticus 25, verse 4. He does the same. God says in His Word, During the seventh year the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not, you shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. This is, this is a year in which the land, it wouldn't be tilled, it wouldn't be sown, nothing would happen in this sort of volunteer crop would, would come up and they would still reap the harvest and it would still feed everyone and everyone would be able to glean and feed and it was a year of rest even for the land. And so those are just these normal provisions. God had made provisions in His design, the way He desired for us to do life. And maybe even we can see the, the curse and failing to regard this sabbatical, if you will, uh, and I think of just some of, and, and maybe you're, you are or are not aware of some of the scenarios that, that we have in our day where um, it's, it's illegal, actually. It's against the law for a, crop, a volunteer crop to come up. Uh, a farmer has to be careful uh, where he spills his grain. It is why it is so pertinent that they kill everything before they plant because if it comes up, it's illegal to grow anything from a patented seed. Um, and so that is some of the, the, the irony that we see uh, as we have departed from God's design in so many things. Uh, we try to make soil conservation artificial and where God clearly made a way for that. And so we, we do just amazing things, spend billions of dollars in trying to do this, trying to prevent another dust bowl that we would have experienced some hundred years ago. Nevertheless, we see how God was incredibly gracious in his nature of provision. And I think if any of us are honest here, uh, he's provided for us nevertheless. Now I want to jump into the parable. So it's easy to see that, and I think that's the point of this parable. This is a basis of understanding, seeing that all this wealth comes from God. Here is the way that it comes. This is the design of God. This is a foundation that already would have been laid for the audience that's hearing this parable. And so as we've already sort of dived into that, it's easy to see how the man in this parable has neglected to honor God's provision. God has blessed the man, but he's blessed him abundantly. And he has failed to honor his provision. We could walk right back through those same things in the way that he has dishonored each of those pre-understandings that they should have had just given their way of life as appointed in God's law. But first, I want to look at it just from the, the practical responses that he gives that Christ tells us he does right there in the beginning. He uh, yields abundantly. Sorry, on the wrong page here. His, uh, his crop brought forth plentiful. In verse 17, he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do because I have no room to bestow my fruits? He denies God thanks. We don't even see thanks. 
Instead, he thinks to himself, what shall I do with this provision I have made for myself? Additionally, this moves right into his focus. Not only did he deny God thanks, but he indulged in self. He plans for the future. Now, now this is an interesting dynamic because what does he do? He's going to build barns and, and, and say to myself, here's what I'll do. I'll take the next several years. We're not, he's not worried about a Sabbath rest that he already gets. He plans for his future by way of ease, uh, eating, drinking, and be merry. That says, you know, we eat and we drink and we be merry. You know, we have, and he plans to do this for several years. His treasure is clearly in his own material possession. That is what his, this man thinks satisfies his heart. Now what's interesting in all of this, because whenever we see ease and we see rest, we, there's a lot that's been brought up, brought up. They already understand God gives a Sabbath rest. Uh, the man desires rest here. And frankly, Jesus goes on and promises a certain level of rest from our worry in these toils. But this is all, oftentimes this is misconstrued into some uh, odd rendition of this. Whenever we read of God's provision later about the birds don't toil, the lilies of the field, and yet God provides, we think that, that will, well, that means we can sit on our rump. God's just going to take care of us. Whenever it follows, obviously, this passage where a man was, I think, slothful and indulgent. And so God's provision so often involves work. This parable doesn't condone the slothful man, nor does it condone, it doesn't condone putting an end to work because of your wealth. Um, and, and we don't have time to dive fully into all the different ways that we can apply this, but this very well could affect the way that we view uh, retirement and some of these things. And consider to yourself one of these, these things, and, and I'm not against retirement, um, I, it's not particularly laid out for us in Scripture, but think of those, those people that you know around you and some of those friends of yours whose plan is to uh, get to make provision, to invest wisely in things, but they plan to get here to retirement and to stop, to stop working and to stop uh, anything. What, what sadly has happened to so many of those? whose goal is to, I, I, I will take ease. I'll just eat and drink and do nothing. They die. I mean, they just die. It's sad, but that's just, this is a reality. Our bodies are not made to stop. And so I'm not going to go fully into that. I think that's uh, taking a tangent application, which is very much in this text, but how could we fool ourselves into thinking that a passage like this just doesn't apply to us? And so that may cause us to consider how we might approach retirement, how we might shift gears or make provision, but not to be like this man in the parable. You see, because not only did he deny God thanks and he indulged in himself, but this man was a blessing to no one. 
Look in verses 20 and 21. God said unto him, Thou fool, this night your soul shall be required of thee. Then whose things shall these be that you've provided? Presumably, the, the, the man died. Presumably, there was someone for this inheritance to go to. He's got these big old barns full of stuff, uh, of produce. Surely it went to somebody. But I think it's true that it was this man's greed that allowed his inheritance only upon his death. He didn't choose to bless anyone besides himself. It was only whenever he would die that that would be shared at all. And, and, and those are some of the wisest words that have stuck with me from my father-in-law. That he, he said one time, you give when you're alive, you don't give when you're dead. And man, that has resonated with me. Because I have seen... Uh, in a number of different families, what happens when someone with wealth dies? It's almost as if they inherit the greed of their ancestors. Perhaps the greater pity comes in that this man was not a blessing to God. He didn't glorify God with his life or his productivity. So this parable really come as a one part one and a two part study. And that's why we read on a little further. So we need to look at building storehouses in the way that, that, that Christ ran with that. And he gave this display of these worldly storehouses and then he showed the contrast in how the birds and the lilies and things, they have no storehouses. And so he leaves essentially two categories for us to fall in and virtually no room in between. The first is the one who is rich toward self. That's where he concludes the parable and says, so, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He's rich toward himself. We've already really seen what this entails in the many examples. Uh, you know, we have many examples under this selfish model. I think that you can look to this being rich towards self and even in our worldly uh, way, we, we, we've got a lot of people who are willing to say, and I hear this often, you know, people are generally good. I'm going to ask you uh, to do a little investigation for me and try following the dollar of the philanthropists of our day. Every humanitarian effort I thought there was quite a bit of irony in, in, in really maybe some, uh, maybe it was quite admirable immediately to see these people jump to the aid amid the coronavirus. Bill Gates jumped in and he said, you know, I'll give $100 million. That seemed to exceed a lot of the gifts from a lot of other people. $100 million. It doesn't matter if this is a drop in the bucket to the man or if this was the man's life savings. But I considered it with great irony as that $100 million, those undesignated funds, would go, his relief to the people would go to an organization or would involve organizations uh, that included the one who held the patent to the disease and would produce, produce the vaccine that would be worth billions of dollars. It was an investment. 
I just want to caution us against being so foolish as to idolize this sort of hollow wealth that does nothing to glorify God. There is a way in which we could dole out loads of cash, you know, during times like these. There are a lot of people in need. We could dole out loads of cash and humanitarian aid and not once meet any of these criteria that glorify God. And I think we need to be careful as a church. We need to look instead at that second category that Christ leaves us. And that's the one being rich towards God. And he really uses the whole rest of the passage that we read, verse 22 through 33, to work through how it is we were to work, but then to enjoy the provision of God. The difference between these two is really established in 29 through 31. Now we could argue, we could look at all the dynamics and I, I would be willing to spend a day with you arguing the way God has made a provision even for the elderly where it seems like I come down hard on retirement and yet God in his words made a provision for the elderly and how we should take care of our elderly. We should take care of our widows and our orphans and, and uh, especially those that have children. It's one of the blessings in motherhood and in parenthood. But ultimately, the defining issue comes in verse 29 through 31. It says the difference is, is you're not seeking what you shall eat, what you should drink, or what you shall wear. All those things does the world seek after. God knows you need those things. Verse 31, rather you seek the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added unto you. All the provisions of God are there. All the rest is going to be there. And all of the needs will be met. The contingency is what? Seek the kingdom of God. For us, that means instead of after seeking these worldly things, and, and listen, I've met a, a, a great many of wise investors who have earned the admiration of many. We often hear that. That man made some good decisions in the stock market early on. I don't think he's hurting for anything. Or we admire uh, and idolize that financial savvy. And we all want to do that. We all want to get to a point which, you know, I, that I don't mind dying working. I just don't want to die in a paper mill. And so... Um, we want to make some changes. But yet I meet so few who are willing to plan and invest and work, even putting in the overtime for eternal things. those who, who go above and beyond and who think and who study the kingdom to know how to make those eternal investments. I think so much of what we're dealing with as a church is because we simply don't, we're, we're not here at this third 
And final point, we just simply do not treasure in Christ. I mean, ask yourself that. There's a lot of things that take up my time in thinking and worry and sweat and, 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 and figuring. And, and, and again, I have to say, the Lord has, has guided me through some times where my budget just didn't add up on paper. And He showed me what other gods that I was serving. The point's clear, which is why we went to verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All this is perfectly consistent in all Scripture. A man who sold everything to dig up a treasure. Um, well, whatever else. Storing up treasure where moth and rust don't destroy. Treasure, treasure. Your treasure is Jesus Christ. That's what grants us this inheritance in a king. We even hear that, an inheritance not a dead one, a living inheritance that we've been granted from one who is living eternally, who's conquered death. This isn't anything like the way that we pattern our lives so often. Frankly, I think that just needs to sink in. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I really don't have to say a whole lot other than ask you a question. Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? Before I conclude, I do, I do want to take a moment for some special application. I hope we can all uh, learn from. But just two mothers, I do want to take an opportunity and speak to them. I don't want to venture too far from the text. Um, but the reality is, is for mothers, because I've seen it. I've seen it up close and personal. I've seen it in one of the most diligent workers that I've ever met in my life in Rachel back there. Is it is easy for her, and I've too often neglected making sure that she wasn't too bogged down, that she wasn't losing sight of the wonderful prize. And so I often think, you know, whenever we talk about women, we go to passages like Proverbs 31, or a lot of times we go to Mary and Martha. And too often we give, we praise the one and we scold the other. And, and I think this is wrong. I think that whenever, whenever I've come to them after some study, I see Mary maybe as the missionary and Martha as the mother. She was a notoriously busy caregiver, cooking, cleaning, serving, and not being served. She was the one who cried, who ran out to meet Christ. She was the one who petitioned Him, who brought her needs to Him, knowing He was the only one to provide the right perspective. Her love was for Christ and thorough and honorable, and honestly, it ought to be mimicked by mothers who have others to care for. But we can't, mothers, you can't lose sight of the prize. Whenever you're cleaning snotty noses, changing diapers, uh, cooking endless meals, it is not for a household of depraved and wretched individuals that we are. Your service is for Christ. 
And I am convinced if you do that, if you, if you hold the Word of God in high regard, and if you are submitting to that in the way that He prescribes for you, in all of that diligence, all those thankless tasks, understand that you are remembered by God. We talked this morning about the work of Timothy's mother and even her, his grandmother, if we were to, to dive into that. Imagine all of heaven rejoicing at that work that you are doing when it's brought to completion. And I want to close, as all of us hold this in view, the mothers especially in some of their thankless tasks, I want to close, and this is another one I want you to write down and go back and maybe you can reflect upon later this week, Philippians 3, 7 through 16. I have an abridged version here I'm going to read for you. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also, I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, listen, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's often said we couldn't express enough thanks to those whom it's owed. Maybe to some of the mothers here. And it's my prayer that we would simply abandon the desire to give and to receive a worldly thanks, a worldly reward, a worldly treasure that we would count it all as loss and truly come to the full teaching of this passage and treasure in Jesus Christ. That means everything. It's more important than anything else we do. In that, all of these things will be added to you. Our families, our budgets, our rest, our whatever. Who cares? Please treasure in Jesus Christ the free grace, the eternal relationship that is offered in him alone. And I'm going to tell you something. This week, 
this has hit harder. Oftentimes that call, you know, at the end, we ask people to come to salvation. And I yearn for people to come and, and to Christ in this way and to say, you know what, I thought I could work my way to heaven or I thought any number of these things or I thought I was a pretty decent person. But today I'm sitting here asking you, I don't care if you are a Christian, I've been convinced, convicted this week that I have not treasured in Christ this way. As a pastor that studies week in and week out just to do all of this, I haven't. And I pray that if there's one thing God can do in my family in the next five weeks is teach me how to be aware of His presence so that I'm done. I'm done with a politician or a constitution meeting my needs. I'm done with a doctor or a medical organization meeting my needs. I'm done with a program or a convention that has the answers for church life. I'm, I'm sick of it and I want us to treasure in Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to that level of awareness, that level of, of reckless abandon and I don't, even, I don't know what that means and I really don't I don't know that's between you and God and I ask you to join so that we as a fellowship can actually live up to the name of this church and experience new life not life peppered with Jesus but a new life that just is Jesus so now let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, you truly are the way, the truth, the life. Lord, as we go, as we do, as we live, Lord, as we study the truth of your word in scripture alone, we want to experience Christ. We just want to know you. We want to see you in the things we do. Not, not separate. We, want, we just want to see Christ in us. And Father, we close. Lord, I'm only speaking for myself. Maybe some others here simply ashamed. Father, I pray that we would learn how to work diligently. So many people in our community that are experiencing downtime that they would work harder than they have before, not for a paycheck, but for a relationship in Christ that all these things would be added to us. We look to you. We wait upon you. We listen for you. We ask that you would begin to draw by your spirit and by your word that you would pull us in. Please show us your glory daily. Lord, we ask this confidently because we know your word to be true. And so, Father, we look expectantly this week how you might reveal yourself 
and draw us in as we submit in all of these things, pursuing after you, waiting for the way that you would reveal yourself, the way that you would lead us, the way that you would use us so that we would see more of Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching. Our goal is to help you and equip you to serve in the way God is calling you. This is where we grow in relationships, we grow in discipleship, and we grow together in Jesus Christ. We hope that you continue to tune in and to subscribe so that you don't miss a single Sunday.